Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to this place, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might hear the word that you have given us to hear this day, and that it would not fall on hard rocks and be scattered about, but would take root and grow and bring forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm wearing this not as a statement. Um, I once asked one of my daughters, I said, they said, oh, what's that? And I said, oh, doesn't it make me look official? And she said, no, you look like a berry. Um, so, there you go. Um, it, it's just, we got out a little bit late today, and, and I've got to run back in, so it, it just saves me a, a step or two. So it, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, I don't, I don't like wearing this around. There was a guy I used to work with who, all through Lent, would wear his black cassock uh, around all the time. And I kid you not, uh, someone called the police department and thought there was some terrorist uh, running, running around. He was sort of Mediterranean looking. Okay. So, uh, I, I want to pick up uh, where we left off last week a little bit because I've really been thinking about the conversation and it was only a 45 minute conversation and there's a lot to be said about Ananias and Sapphira and to continue to struggle with it. And <clears throat> one of the things that um, I will say, uh, and, and we can, we're going to talk about this for just a little bit, and then we're going to move on to uh, Gamaliel. But um, for those of you who weren't here, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property. They tell the church, we're going to give you 100% of the proceeds from the sale of the property. And uh, they decide to hold back a little bit to save some for themselves. And so when Ananias goes before Peter to give the money, um, Peter says, is this what you sold it for? And Ananias says, well, yes, this is everything. And uh, Ananias dies. And then Sapphira goes looking for her husband, and uh, Peter gives her the opportunity to, to set things straight and says, is this the price for which you sold the property? And she says, yes. And then she dies. And... Um, and it's a, hard, it's a hard word for, for a number of reasons, uh, but primarily here are these two individuals who, it's a very sad story on the one hand because Peter says to them, you didn't have to commit 100%. You were perfectly within your right to say, we're going to sell the property and we're going to give 50% to the church and we're going to hold on to 50%. Or we're going to sell the property and we're not going to give any to the church. Uh, that wasn't it, but what... Uh, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to do is um, uh, Barnabas had just sold some property in and around the Jerusalem area and he gave all the proceeds to the church and Ananias and Sapphira thought well here's a chance for us to look as good as Barnabas one of the apostles and at the same time keep a little bit for ourselves and nobody's going to really know but us and God and so uh, they had the chance to get out of it. Uh, Peter sees this as completely foolish, and, and they're struck uh, dead. Now, I said this makes me a little bit nervous, and I didn't intentionally want to talk about Ananias and Sapphira on rally day, uh, because pledge season is coming up. <laughs> and I know that there are some of us in the room that have a hard time with that, that we say that we're going to pledge this much, and then, you know, we sort of get to, and then we send you a statement that says here's how much you paid, and here's how much you said you would give. And you read it, and, and it's full of, full of conviction, uh, and therein lies a huge difference. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that one of the ways, one of the most awful ways that God's judgment, which is what Ananias and Sapphira is about, uh, one of the most awful ways that God's judgment is manifested in the world is that he gives people over to themselves. He gives them what they want. Now, um, that doesn't sound like a terrible prospect from a human perspective, right? I would love to have what I wanted all the time. I was out in Las Vegas once, and uh, while I was out there, there was actually on the marquee of Caesar's Palace, it said, it said uh, God save me from what I want. So clearly somebody who was in Gamblers Anonymous had some money on their hands and, uh, for once and, uh, and was, was trying to make a point, uh, and, and they were right. God save us from what we want. Because God simply removing uh, any and all barriers to having what we want could be a very uh, scary prospect, especially for, uh, I have a pretty vivid imagination, and I preached the sermon, the same sermon at 7.30, and somebody came up to me and said, you know, Andrew, it's, I hear what you're saying, and I said, but, you know, I'll get to this place where someone has wronged me in the business world, and I've forgiven them in my heart, I've really forgiven them. But then a couple years down the road, I find out that some misfortune has come upon them, and I'll wake up at 2 in the morning with a smile on my face. <laughs> and, uh, and so, the, uh, but as Christians, we do realize, but for the grace of God, uh, go us. And one of the great difference. so one, uh, and, and it was last, I'm going to read, you don't have to necessarily pray along, but just listen to the collect from last Sunday. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts, for as you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. All right. uh, so if God is really... Uh, over and against anybody at any given point in time, it's, it's against the proud. And instead of thwarting them, he often gives them over to themselves. And that's exactly what happened with Ananias. He actually let Ananias have what he wanted. But in embracing what he wanted, it meant self-destruction. Right? It wasn't as if Ananias was kind of going along his merry way and then all of a sudden, poof! You know, God struck him uh, from lightning from the sky. But in fact, uh, God allowed Ananias to go along his merry way until he finally ran into the consequences uh, of his own actions. That's one point I'd make. The other point that I would make is, th is the issue of, l let's just go back to the old pledge account balance uh, for a minute. Um, you know you're a Christian when you read that and you find yourself in arrears and you're convicted. When you're convicted, when your heart is convicted, um, that's a big difference between where Ananias was and where. Um, uh, and I don't want to sound too self-righteous here, but uh, at the same time, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, uh, there is going to be continual conviction of sin and throwing yourself upon the mercy of Jesus. It allows you a great degree of honesty, as hard as it is, and as hard as it would have been humanly speaking, because he couldn't do it humanly. Uh, Ananias uh, breaking down and saying, "You know what, Peter? I I'm, I'm lying. This is this is not uh, the amount of money, uh, and and I'm just uh, I'm undone." Nonetheless, the Holy Spirit, as as convicting agent uh, in our lives, uh, makes. All the difference 
Because even in the situation with Sapphira where she didn't know where her husband was uh, but clearly knew that something was wrong, it never occurred to her that this might be it. Never in a million years. Where I feel like in my life, um, when someone calls me up and depending on the person, I know exactly what it's about and I know exactly how I've blown it. And, uh, and yes, my first reaction is to start thinking, now how can I justify myself? How can I come out of this looking as good as possible? Uh, and yet, uh, when confronted with the truth of the matter, uh, I have nothing to do but to simply stand under uh, the judgment of God. But in that, uh, there is mercy. There's a wonderful line from 1 John where John tells us that when your hearts are overwhelmed, when you find your heart convicted, know that God's love is bigger than your heart. When you find yourself, so that's either whether you're under conviction or there are times in my life where I feel like I'm not doing enough, uh, I'm not ministering to my family enough, especially those who are non-Christians. I feel like this problem is so big. I feel like the world is out of control. Uh, know that, that God is bigger than your overwhelmed heart. God is bigger than your convicted heart. And so uh, I, I leave that with the Ananias and Sapphira thing, and um, it won't be the end of it. Uh, but nonetheless, continue to grapple with that. This morning, we are going to move on, and we are going to... Any, well, actually, any questions about Ananias and Sapphira? Any things you've been thinking about this week? Nothing? Good. Some of you have contacted me privately at 2 in the morning with a smile on your face. I've appreciated that. <laughs> Okay, so moving, well, so, so this terrible thing happens, right? And then what do you think happens in the life of the church? It starts to grow. <laughs> right, talk about it. Here's our strategy for growth. Two dead people lying on the floor in the church. Right? <laughs> uh, it's not a strategy for growth, and yet what you see is God going out of his way to preserve the life of the church and the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of those around them and opening their eyes and their ears to the gospel message and performing uh, these signs and wonders. And more than, more than ever, believers were added to the... Uh, Luke goes out of say, and more than ever. This is uh, more, more than Pentecost. That's what he says. More than ever, believers were being added uh, to the church, and the church was held in high esteem. But the high priest... Uh, so. Uh, they're doing all these signs and wonders. They're preaching. And the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and threw them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Capital L. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them 
but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach anyone in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up, in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks for bearing with me. That was long and very tiny print. So what has happened here is the church is continuing to grow and they've been sent to prison and God lets them out. Supernaturally. This is not uh, the last time that this will happen. Uh, but just as dramatic, uh, they go and they say, we well, hear these guys are preaching. It's time for us to teach them a lesson. Go get them. They go to prison. Uh, we've lost them. Uh, it's like uh, the fugitive with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. What do, we, what do we do with Harrison Ford? Well, where is he? Let's find him. Except they don't go in a hiding. They go to the most public place that they could possibly go, uh, the portico of Solomon on the edge of the temple, and they began to teach and preach about Jesus. And when they hear this, they get angry, and they call them in, and Peter and the apostles answered, we can't we're, if, if, it, if we've got to choose between God and men, we're going to choose God every single time. And then they actually give a little gospel message, a very succinct sermon about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for even these people uh, who don't care for Jesus. And the reaction of the congregation, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. All right, not a good time to pass the plate. <laughs> not happy not wanting anything to do with these men. Uh, they were furious. Why? Because it was like for them, that mole game, Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, it was very funny. I told my kids that uh, Chuck E. Cheese actually doesn't exist. Um, it's, it's a big ruse, and there is a giant rat uh, that is there. And um, so my mom came to town, and my mom being my mom, that was an engraved invitation for her. And she says, I will. So they took, took him to Chuck E. Cheese, and... Um, the only thing I really remember about Chuck E. Cheese is the mole game, you know, the whack-a-mole, where you, um, and um, 
Uh, and that's, that's kind of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are feeling like at this point where uh, they feel like they've tamped them down, they've whacked them, but every time they whack them down, they're just kind of popping back up again. And resistance seems uh, futile. We've imprisoned you, uh, we've beat you, uh, we've tried to lie about you, spread rumors about you, uh, and uh, you have your own bad breasts, Ananias and Sapphira, and yet you continue to grow and multiply, and that's a threat to us and to our identity. And furthermore, uh, we don't like the fact that you're confident about this. Uh, that you're willing to stand up. Uh, these uh, apostles who were the same uh, folks who were trapped up in the upper room that were cowering after Jesus' death are now, what, instead of hiding from these, these are the people they're hiding from, uh, instead of hiding from them are now what? Face to face, toe to toe. Uh, and in a certain amount of and confidence, but not a confidence that, that is derived from them or a confidence in themselves, but an ultimate confidence in God and the Holy Spirit working through them uh, have have nothing to fear to the point that they can get. Uh, I think sometimes the Bible is very funny. So it says, and then they beat them, and the disciples, the apostles, left rejoicing. And I just thought that's I don't know about all that. And I, if I, I mean, the the apostles left limping. Uh, uh, but uh, and. Uh, I mean, they're not, they're not taking any cues from anybody because in those situations, I would, if I were there, I'd say, all right, here's where we're just quiet and we lay low. And it says not just Peter, but Peter and the apostles answered together. Right? They have a, a reason for the hope that is within them and they share that hope with them. And the other thing that is rem uh, remarkable that Peter and the apostles answered show that they're unified in their message and in their mission. They're unified in their message and in their mission. They're not divided over what the gospel is about and how to carry that message to the ends of the earth. Uh, that in itself is a work of the Holy Spirit because if you really want to get people to disagree, get Christians together. Right, that, that's a pretty good demographic that is almost 100% guaranteed uh, to disagree. And I think that... Uh, I know that in my own heart, because of self-righteousness, uh, I'm not grieved enough over division in the church. I'm not even talking about the issues in the church. I'm talking about the fact that, like, here we are in an Episcopal church, and over there there's a Presbyterian church, and over there there's a Methodist church. Uh, and, uh, and that um, I'm okay with it. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, partly because, you know, uh, I know that, I mean, one of the perks of being an Episcopalian is you don't have to worry about too many casseroles or jello molds at a potluck. Um, other denominations is a different story. Um, uh, but, uh, seriously, I mean, the issue of division in the church is, is a big deal. And even before uh, we get to the end of the book of Acts, the church is dealing with a serious issue, which I'm not going to get into now over the Judaizers and circumcision, uh, but it, it did divide the church. Uh, not in the way that we see the church divided today, but the church was willing to do the hard work uh, and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to come uh, to a conclusion. And so some of the issues that divide us in the church are worth arguing about. I think that there are issues that, that there's no compromise, especially on biblical issues. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are other issues in the church where it seems really remarkable that 
that a church would, uh, would, would divide over that. Uh, there's a church on the Tennessee-Virginia border that I've been to, and um, it's called, uh, I'll just say it, Gardner Memorial Baptist Church. And literally, in the lot across the road is the second Gardner Memorial Baptist Church. And uh, they uh, divided uh, over uh, linens for the communion table. Um, somebody wanted to, uh, they had linens that had been there forever, and someone wanted to, bu- someone bought some nice new linens, and they didn't want it. And so they, they started their own church and used their own linens. Um, and uh, that, that stuff gets uh, pretty, uh, pretty sticky, uh, but it's true. Uh, the ordination advice that Fitzsimmons Allison gave me was he said, you know, Andrew, in the Episcopal Church, uh, you can get away with preaching heresy in the pulpit, uh, but you start moving furniture and they will tear your rear end up. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, because we have a ton of idols, and, and they're all things that we think are important, but it definitely boils down to self-righteousness. And one of the hardest things for me to acknowledge is that there might be a chance, be a chance I'm wrong. There might be a chance that I'm wrong uh, on, certain, uh, on certain things. And to be able to say, is this a primary issue? Is this a gospel issue? Uh, or is this secondary or tertiary or worse? Uh, and there are times when, you know, I'll be going to, going to bat, and I just realize... You know, Pearls Before Swan, uh, you know, the, the wonderful uh, story about Lady Astor, who was a Virginian, but she sat in uh, the House of uh, Commons in England. She was the first woman elected, Nancy Astor from Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, was the first woman elected to the English House of Commons. And uh, there was another woman who was elected shortly after her, and they hated one another, absolutely hated one another. And uh, as uh, they came to the doors of the house, uh, they approached at the same time, and uh, Lady Astor said, uh, uh, the, the woman said to Lady Astor, oh, please, age before beauty. And Astor, with her head held high, walked through the door and said under her breath, just loud enough for her to hear, uh, pearls before swine. Um, so just remember that, very, very, very clever. So um, you know the story about Churchill and Astor where they were sitting and having coffee and Astor did not like Churchill either. And, uh, and she told the Prime Minister, Prime Minister, if I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. And Churchill said, Lady Astor, if I was your husband, I would drink it. (laughs) Well, it is funny the things that we do get worked up about and that we put so much primary importance. And when, when the articles of religion actually say... What, what, how can you identify the church? What makes church church? What, how do, what is a church? And it says where the word of God is rightly preached and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are rightly and duly administered. Well, that's a pretty, it's a pretty wide net. It doesn't get into sort of nitty-gritty details about do you have a session of elders or do you have a vestry or do you have this or do you have how many orders of ministers do you have and so here in the book of Acts we hear that they're unified in their message of the gospel and in their mission and they're ready to go and the response to this message from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, the Sanhedrin and all who are listening is enraged and wanting to kill them how dare you do you know who I am. The power of self-righteousness, as we've been talking about, is pretty uh, unbelievable. And 
yet they are willing to stand up to these people who do have uh, the ability to sway and to uh, make it so that their life is either very difficult or that it simply comes to an end. And almost always when I'm in a situation where I'm pressed down and when I feel like I'm cornered and defensive, my response is almost 100% of the time, unless God intervenes, is the law. Is to react power with power. I'll show you who, who I am and I'll, I'm going to make it I'm going to make it hurt a little bit. And uh, so if, if anybody has really done something that I think is dastardly and has done it intentionally to hurt me or somebody that I love, uh, I mean, it's, it's a nuclear fallout. I'm going to exercise every single option. I'm going to call who I need to call. I'm going to make happen uh, what needs to happen. When instead, uh, Jesus' words to me are uh, to turn the other cheek. And to actually take it. And uh, being a Christian, I think that one of the things that, that God has worked on in my life is, is realizing, who cares? I'm, I'm a firstborn, and I love getting the last word. My favorite thing in the world is getting the last word and sort of getting the zinger in and, uh, and, and leaving people uh, speechless and walking away in triumph. Uh, yet, little now, I mean, for what? For what? for absolutely uh, nothing except to build my own ego and make me feel like uh, I've accomplished something. Uh, do you know who I am? And so their reaction is just the same as any of ours. Is Let's just crush them. Let's just stomp them down because we can do it. We can organize against them. And then finally somebody with some sense who's not even on their side, who has learned the lesson of life, of learn when, to, you know, learn when you're going to dig a ditch to die in. Gamaliel says, look, We've been here before. <laughs> there was a guy named Thaddeus. There was a guy named Judas from Gal the Galilean. Uh, this has happened before. And what happened? It's kind of petered out. Right? So if this is from man, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. We have nothing to worry about. But if it's from God, there's no way we're going to be able to stand up to it. So what point? Let's just let's see what happens. Let's see how it plays out. This sort of mentality is so rare <laughs> uh, in the world in which we live and in the world in which Jesus lived, nothing has changed, that it's not to be believed where in the midst of all of the dis dissension uh, that is in the world, and I'm not even talking about the church, I'm just talking about the world at large and in the United States or uh, at the breakfast table at Overeasy, um, wherever it might be, that how often will somebody actually sort of be able to step back and try to get above the fog of war and say, you know, God wins, ultimately. <laughs> and so why are we getting so worked up thinking that God doesn't have it under control? Now, that doesn't mean that our hearts aren't convicted, but what it means is our ultimate hope is not in our ability to beat who we think are the enemy, but our ultimate hope is the person who is the ultimate victor, who is Jesus Christ. Right? At the, on the great judgment day, when Jesus sits on his throne and we stand before him and our lives totally revealed, nobody's getting away with anything. Right? Nobody's going to be able to say, ooh, I slipped that one by. You know, that, that's not going to happen. In fact, that's, uh, for many, that, that's a mortifying prospect. 
I mean, have everything that you've ever done in your life laid bare uh, for all to see? That's terrible. I mean, we've gotten a little bit of an inkling of this um, with, with these leaked photos of, of these celebrities that are, that are all over the place. And, um, and, and I've been thinking about those leaked photos because they say, well, they found them in their cloud. And, and I'm thinking, who takes naked pictures of themselves and, and puts them on their computer? Um, have you seen me? Um, and um, um, uh, th- th- there are some issues there. One, so just uh, just a little free advice: don't put naked pictures of yourself on, on your on your computer or on your phone. It's just not a good idea. And um, but uh, but I I've been thinking about it in terms of my of my own judgment and and like that's nothing. That's nothing compared. Like that's something that has become very public, and but other people probably knew about it that were were close to them. Uh, but uh, but there's stuff that I've been able to squirrel away, right? That that forget. Uh, there, there's not a team of lawyers that could could help me uh, when it comes to that. And so when everything is is laid bare and and we're with without an excuse, uh, it, it really. A lot of the issues that I tend to get worked up on, over pale in comparison, <laughs> right? When it comes to things of ultimate importance and significance, that doesn't mean because we see here with the apostles that something as important and primary as the gospel, they're not going to back down on that. They're not going to back down on anything that is of primary importance and that the Bible holds up to be true at all. But at the same time, they do that because they know who holds the future. Not them, but God himself. And so today in our culture, pretty much with any hot-button issue, uh, it's either conform or die. It's the situation that the, the apostles are being faced with by the Sanhedrin and others of, your options are just totally be quiet and conform to what we're talking about. Because if you step out of line, we're going to crush you. We're going to absolutely steamroll you. And that's pretty much the setup of today, I feel, when it comes to any hot-button issue, that there's no room whatsoever for disagreement, especially on issues that may not be. Uh, of, of Someone wanted to pick a huge fight with me the other, other day about, I said something about, like, well, you know, we should probably do away with the corporate income tax, and, uh, which I think is a really good idea. And so they went nuts. They went totally nuts. And I thought, I don't think I've ever woken up in the middle of the night thinking, the corporate income tax. You know, <laughs> this, this person did Clearly a big, and you, you, it was nobody in this room, but it, it, it may be, it may be you. But the thing about Gamaliel that I like so much is one is his classic, classical liberality of, he's not being, um, he's not enabling, he's not saying whatever floats your boat, he's simply saying, let them do their thing and allow God to sort it out. We have our position, which we've made readily known. And everybody knows about it. And they have their position, which is readily known. That's why they're here. And yet, uh, we're fools to think that the more militant and the more defiant we are, that that's going to tamp it down. Because we know, according to the Bible, that where the law increases, what else increases? The trespass. Right? You want to see your teenager really rebel? Turn up the volume on the law. Right? 
give them a harder time. I mean, you know that when you were a teenager. I mean, your parents would say, don't do that. You wanted to do it even more. They would put more restrictions on you, and you tried to figure out ways to get out of those restrictions. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with um, punishing. You've heard 9 o'clock. Isn't that a great phrase from, the, uh, from Matthew's Gospel, the reckoning? That's so good. When, so when my kids come, I'm going to say, prepare for the reckoning. Um, um, and then I'll beat them, and they'll go away rejoicing. <laughs> But so we know that when we turn it on strong, I mean, there's going to be uh, an equally strong, if not stronger, response from whoever is, is, is applying. And even the most mundane and simple things, Lauren and I were at a friend's house once and they had gotten these brand new, beautiful, some kind of expensive stone that was uh, mined by uh, elves in uh, the hills of Mongolia. And... Um, and uh, they, they were brand new. She was so proud of them. And he was being a great husband. And he was actually helping prepare for dinner. And he was chopping carrots on the countertop. And she said, Hey, Bill, stop chopping. And before she could even get a rest of it out, he responded with, I'm not. But there he was. I mean, but you see, that's the reaction. I mean, it's sort of immediately when you're attacked, the reaction is going to be uh, defensive. And so. Gamaliel at least gets that. He understands it and understands that the sort of militant approach to things is not working. And so the disciples and the apostles have it right. You put forward that which God has called you to put forward, and if it's pearls before swine, you knock the dust off of your sandals. So you don't forfeit your call to put forward the truth of the gospel. But at the same time, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he will do, it's in his hands. You don't have to get too terribly bent out of shape about it. Gamaliel's a big picture guy. Uh, he understands uh, that he doesn't stand in isolation and that history is going to march on without him. It, it's, it's not, uh, he, he doesn't feel like he has to go uh, to the mattresses. He's wise enough to know that um, to let God sort it out. There's the wonderful little phrase in John's Gospel when the woman is caught in adultery and uh, they all have their stones. And then Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And John goes out of his way to say, who were the first to put down their stones and leave? The older people. The older people. Why? They'd been around the track, right? Uh, they, they, they knew. They knew that if they're... Uh, iCloud ever got invaded, uh, they were sunk. They were completely sunk. And so uh, one of the things that life does is it helps make us more self-aware, and that's exactly where Gamaliel is. In fact, he might have been there that day uh, with stone in, in hand. And so in, in the world in which we live, uh, I have great hope in the power of the Holy Spirit who is just as active today as he was then uh, to uh, go before us because even while there's strong resistance to the message of the gospel in Jerusalem, there are still many who are being added to their number that day where God the Holy Spirit is uh, working mightily in the hearts of those unbelievers. And do you know when uh, the church experiences the most growth? 
when it's most persecuted. Uh, that is, you can actually see if you did a chart of church growth throughout uh, the past 2,000 years and you laid over it uh, persecution, uh, you would see uh, that they would coincide with one another. Uh, today, it's, it's got to be now at this point, lar- largest Christian nation in the world? China. China. And here I am, you know, in Birmingham, being like, we should send missionaries to China. When in reality, what? They should be sending missionaries to us. Right, so be prepared to see a lot of Chinese people walking down the streets of Birmingham. And, and so part of my Western mindset is I think I know everything and I've got it all together. And uh, when in fact, uh, just when I think, well, you know, maybe God's not working as mightily as I think he ought to or, or I think he should, uh, uh, there he is working mightily in places like China where uh, it's incredibly oppressive. Uh, I mean, you can't bring Bibles into the country. You have to be very careful about missionary work. Uh, and yet, uh, if it's of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, there is nothing you can do to stand in the way of it. And that is good news. Absolutely. Questions, comments, concerns? Well, I guess I would just raise in light of the terrorism that we see. You have to look at it and say, how could God let these people yeah. rise up? Where throughout Scripture, that's what he does if he lets those kind of people rise up. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy for people to write, you know, after the American Revolution, Thomas Jefferson wrote that the blood of the patriots waters the tree of liberty. And I thought, well, that's, uh, that's, that's easy to say once you've uh, gotten on the other side of the revolution. Uh, he didn't say it in the midst of it. Uh, but, uh, well, Jefferson was a nut. And I can say that because I went to the University of Virginia. Uh, he had all, he was... He loved the French. He was totally on the side of the French during the Revolution, and that's uh, that's a whole other issue. Uh, but um, but it's easy for us, in the comfort of our own homes, uh, to to say that. And yet, at the same time, uh, what we hear from people who um, uh, who have gone through intense persecution and come out of the other side. Uh, it's like Joseph and the brothers. Yes, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. That God used it for good. So they're not saying the situation was good or hooray, uh, but what they are saying is that you can't thwart God, that his purposes will always be accomplished for those who, who love him and are called according to his purpose. All right, well, be, be of good heart. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.